if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Our guest today is Ian Francis. Now, if you haven't heard of Ian Francis, which I'm sure that most people will have, Ian Francis is a master in horsemanship and horse education. He's had a competitive career of over 30 years in AQHA events, working cow horse, reining, cutting, stockman's challenge. Um, Ian's been conducting clinics for the past six years. I'm sure it's a bit more now to educate people in horsemanship, reining, and cattle-related events like camp drafting. Ian's a legend amongst Australian horsemen and often described as the best horseman in the world because Ian has trained more horses and received more awards in more events than any other horseman in Australia. I was going to say this country's ever seen, but in Australia if we're uh, talking about that. So, Ian, you've come as a legend in front of us. How are you anyway? Yeah, I'm great, thank you. Yeah. Um, no, wonderful. I know you're a real person underneath all that legend stuff, so well, hopefully we'll have a good chat today and um, you'll give mm -hmm. us some of your expertise about horses. But before we start with that, I just want to remind people about International Horse College. Podcast is brought to you by International Horse College and horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance to us at International Horse College, which is why we've included them in our value statements. Within our wide variety of horse courses, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane methods of interaction between horses and humans, supporting only safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers. Have a look now at the online courses at internationalhorsecollege.com registered training organisation number 31352. Now, Ian, if you've listened to any of our podcasts at all, you know that I like to start off asking new guests about their favourite quotes. So have you got one for us today? You, you know, I got several, I, I, I guess. And <laughs> um, these things I put up on my walls. When I, uh, yes. I, even before I started in the horse business, I had these things up, some of these things up, and uh, to keep me motivated and keep me... Uh, on track, and the one I put up there when I first started uh, my horse business was only those who risk going too far can find how far they can go. Mm. And uh, just because uh, I, me, I'm a little bit conservative, or I was back then, and um, a little bit um, to where I had self doubts about my abilities and so forth and so on. So that was the first one. And then in, in a training sense, I had um, if you keep doing what you're doing, you keep getting what you're getting. Yeah. And that is to remind myself that, you know, things are not going great. You better think about changing some stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then for the horse part of it, uh, we need to take the high-pressure pressure areas and turn them into comfort zones. Mm -hmm. So there are three that I, you know, for different reasons have have meaning for me. Okay, okay. And I think that sort of gives us a bit of a good mix. Now, mm. you really focusing on AQHA events, working cow horse, reining, cutting, stockman's challenge. How did you get into that area of horsemanship? Uh, well, you know, originally I never set out to be a horseman or horse, or horse trainer but as an occupation. I, it didn't really exist um, back when I started. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm talking about in the 60s. Yep. The only horse trainers then were, were racehorse trainers and um, 
and uh, trotting trainers. I think the horse industry has evolved quite a lot since then, hasn't it? You know, you would have, you would have seen oh, all the yes, involvement. Yeah, yeah. It's much more of a, a real career now rather than just a bit of a hobby that you might make some money with. Yeah, there was mm, no mm. real real career so much back then. There wasn't mm. a, a, a business formed around it back then. So, uh, yeah, so the, yeah, you say it has, it's evolved quite a lot since yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. But what started you? Because you, you said that the only trainers were really, you know, racing and trotting, oh, like harness racing. Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I, I started off thinking my, my career was going to be in the cattle industry. And, okay. And horses were, for me, were a part of the cattle industry. And I went uh, out into the uh, North Burnett and places like that, and I got into uh, working on properties and eventually got into manage, property management and, and so forth, but always taking jobs where I could take my own horses and, and utilise them and, and then I would uh, start a horse and bring it along and sell it to somebody as a, as a bit of a supplement for my income. But the beef depression turned up in about 1974 and that sort of forced me out. Of, well, it didn't force me out. I still had a job in the rural sector, but I had a, some people approach me about um, going and manage a newly developed uh, quarter horse stud called Calora Quarter Horses. Um, they approached me about going and managing that. They knew that I was reasonably handy around horses, and they offered me that job for on, for a two-year contract, um, just to wait and see what, how, how long the the, um, the uh, cattle slump might last. So I, that that brought me out and brought me into the pro, into the industry in a professional sense, and I started showing their horses. And by the time that two years that out, it was out, I was getting. Uh, you know, a lot of success, and uh, so uh, that the interest in having me work horses followed me home. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how it evolved. Yes. Okay. Now, if someone wants to get involved in the horse industry, you know, and as we've said, it's mm-hmm. changed quite a lot, you know, over the last however long you've been in it. But um, thinking about not necessarily the horse knowledge, but their core skills and character traits, the type of person they would have to be to be successful in the horse industry. You know, I'm just thinking those, you know, and I don't know if I got it right, only those who risk going too far can ever find out, you know, what too far is. Is that the correct, did I get that completely right or not? Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so the, the time, yeah, I mean, having you having that up on the wall almost determines what sort of a person you were to get in the horse industry to be successful. But for someone else, what sort of person would they need to be to be successful in the horse industry? Well, I, I've made a, a, a couple of notes on, on in that direction. Mm. And I, I thought, you know, uh, some say this might be obvious, but I, I, I think they need to like horses for a start. I yep. wonder sometimes with folk that are working horses that may be there be, because they enjoy being able to dominate being animals and so forth mm. and, mm. and uh, you want to use fear and the like to uh, get by on and so, so um, and they're pretty hard on them, and I, I think liking them would be a nice place to start. They want to be someone with a really strong earth, uh, work ethic. One of the, with the deals at my place it was the people that succeed get up earlier, stay later, and do more than they got to do. Yep. But, you know, that's just from a, a straight business sense. Mm-hmm. A, a desire to improve your knowledge, or, you know, learn more about horses, learn about how they function, learn about what confirmation will lend them to a sound 
you learn more, more about techniques and something that works on nine tenths, tenths, and won't work on all of them sometimes. Yep. Um, communication skills mm-hmm. are really something to be to be thought about because horses don't can't write a check. You know, it's it's uh, you're going to have to have the owners write your check. So being yes. able to communicate with people, yep. there's so many of us that ride horses really well. At horses and be left the hell alone. But you can't run a business like that. You've got to be able to, you've got to be able to communicate, and uh, better can't. And um, the other thing I think it seems a bit strange, but reasonably high pain tolerance is a, a threshold is <laughs> pretty good too. Because yep. awful lot of the time you're going to be working sore, mm. and uh, if you're going to be, get pee harded about go, getting out and going when when. Um, when you're a little sore, then probably you're not going to survive in the job. Mm, mm. So there, I think there are some attributes that will help. I, I think they're um, quite well thought out. I think, you know, just, just sort of being in the horse industry myself, I think, yep, you know, liking horses. And I do think that sometimes people, I don't know, they, they get to a stage where they forget why they entered the industry. You enter the industry because you like horses, and I think you've got to keep that mm. with you. You know, if, you, if you've realised that you don't like horses, then... You shouldn't be in the industry. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. Now, what about the people who excel in the horse industry? Is there is there anything in particular? It might be, you know, something out of these, any one thing out of this or anything else they need to bring to the party to be one of the best, to be a legend? I, I think there's nothing more important than the, the desire to succeed. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, you, you know, I think that's really high high on, on the list and um, uh, yeah, yeah other than that I haven't really thought that through a, okay. a whole lot I spent my whole life uh, trying to or get to a, a position of prominence and, uh, and and trying to stay there yep and, you know, and that just to me it, it was about being able to attract a high caliber of horse and having a, a really high uh, work ethic and uh, you know, if I didn't have a um, a competitive horse, I wouldn't go any to a contest. I would I would stay home and work on next year. Okay, but that's not, okay. not everybody's approach, but that yeah. was mine. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Now, thinking about you know, in the early days, you've started off. You started off in the cattle industry and kept working with horses. But going back then, or even since then, is there anyone that you'd say, "Gee, I really learned a lot from"? That particular person, or maybe there's a couple. Oh, there's several people. Mm. There was a man called Barry Whittaker way back when I was a kid. I, I, my, I didn't start off in the horse industry. My parents uh, weren't interested. They would, uh, when I was a little kid, you know, I, I was always absorbed with horses, and we'd drive down the road, and I'd be saying, "There's a oh look, there's a blue one. Oh look, there," <laughs> and they roll their eyes, and and oh god, here we go again, kind of deal. Yep. And uh, they weren't the been interested, but um, I, for me to get involved in the horse industry, I used to go make myself really useful to anybody that um, lived within bicycle riding distance of home, and make myself uh, useful to them, and try and uh, be around the people who yes. were involved with horses and cattle and the like, and and uh, that's how I started. Well, I, I spent a lot of about from when I was about twelve or thirteen through to like nineteen with a family called the Whittakers at Maribor. And the eldest of those boys, Barry, was uh, he used to start some colts, and he was pretty pretty good at uh, getting by with it with a young colt. And um, and he was the first black I saw that 
could put what I call a signature on the horses. A lot of us who um, around, if you ride our horses, there's something distinctive about them, and, and we put a bit of a signature on our horses. And mm-hmm. you, can norm- you can tell a bit, little about them. You can pick who, who started that horse when you're riding yeah. with those kind of people. Mm-hmm. Well, Barry was that way, and he was, rather than kind of laugh at and, and ridicule me, which kind of happened a lot when you a kid like that, when uh, and uh, he would encourage you, you know. So yeah. he w- he was the first guy. Mm-hmm. And then the next fellow I ran into that really uh, took my attention was a man called Lee Bourse. And he'd uh, come out from Nevada and was a, a high... Uh, high-level man horse uh, trainer and competitor in the United States had won the very big events when the Cow Palace in America was the, the maker of that, that kind of deal. And he came out here to be a cattleman, but also to supplement his income, started doing clinics. And I, I think he's the man that prob- probably influenced me the most in, in the techniques and the style I use. Just say his name again, Ian. Lee Reboss. Okay, okay. Yeah. And um, he was mostly up around Queensland. He did travel down south a little bit, but um, there were mostly some Queenslanders like myself and Ken May and uh, Gordon McKinley and uh, Wally Ray and people like that that had the opportunity to be around Lee. Mm-hmm. There'd have been others too, but uh, they're the ones that come to mind that were influenced strongly by what he did. Mm-hmm. And he also had a great attitude about like uh, not holding back any information and like he wasn't really concerned. He would tell you everything he knew about what you were asking about because he didn't feel intimidated and about maybe you beating him down the road somewhere. Yep. You, uh, in fact, you rather thought that was a compliment, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, he, he, I think, had the most influence. And then an Australian guy called Johnny Stanton, who's um, a lot of people in, in the, in the, certainly in the camp draft industry know, and he's, I think he's something like eight times ACA, ABCRA, Kemprath, yes. under yeah. the year on about six different horses. So he's mm-hmm. qualified for an opinion. And um, I, he, not so much um, on horses so much, but he gave me an awfully, awful lot of good advice along the way. And uh, so they, they were the three fellas that, and there have been others, a man called Laurie Headings helped start me into the, into the camp draft industry. Um but they're the most significant. Okay, okay. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Now, I'm sure that there's been a few horses that have helped you influence in your career, but is there a standout? Yeah, a couple. The first horse that really helped me was a horse called uh, uh, King's Gold, and he was a first uh, quarter horse that uh, I, I had to work with. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I, and I always had uh, jobs in the in the uh, rural sector where I had my own horses, and uh, I'd, when I took on management jobs, I could manage my own time a bit somewhat more. So if I went to check windmills or or check carving cows and stuff like that, I'd go horseback, and yep. I could spend a little time cheap for a bit of time here and there, and work on on educating them some. And uh, I. Um, I learned a lot from that horse. I tried every damn technique known to man on him. Yeah. And uh, there's a man called Chilicini that was around Queensland and then Australia. He was quite a legend. He uh, And he was also a pretty caustic old boy. And someone asked him one day what he thought of the combination of myself and the horse because we were doing pretty good. And he said, um, Ian's made him four times and messed him up five. <laughs> and that's kind of how it went a bit, you know. I, I, I got to try, and he was very forgiving, but also a fairly talented critter. Mm. And uh, yeah, it, that was way back. That was, it was very early on in the early seventies. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, very early seventies. And um, so he's also learned an awful lot on, off. Um, Spindle was another mare, a mare uh, that. Uh, won the '91 Cutting Futurity for me. Mm-hmm. Um, she taught me a lot about. Uh, working cattle, uh, just her, her style and her ability and her ability to read cattle and and the, and the way she handled them, the way she positioned yep. herself to handle them, I learned I learned a heck of a lot off her. Um, and you know, there's been a couple of the more significant ones in, in more recent times. I think like one hell of a spin and and one Rome Petto. It's kind of it's almost impossible if you're reasonably astute not to learn something from those great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Now, going back and thinking about the awards you've won and even horses that you've trained and people that you've helped, but is there one moment that you can pinpoint that you say, well, this is my proudest moment? Oh, it's that. that's really hard because I, I've had um, – I've been fortunate enough to ride a lot of outstanding horses and, mm-hmm. and uh, fortunate enough also to, to win a lot, of, a lot of significant events. And one thing that that always uh, I look back on and think I, I didn't get to enjoy those big moments as much as I should because I always had goals happening and and uh, I, I was always uh, I was showing an awful lot of events. So a lot of times I might uh, be at the uh, rank hours for journey and when when that and while the presentations are going on, I'm already thinking, well, gee, I've got to be on the road to Cloncurry. I've got to be there in three days' time. Yeah, you know, and um, and and there was always the next thing that I had to be get ready for. So while the presentations are on, I'm already thinking about, you know, what is the next thing I got to be at, and how much time do I have, and what have I got to do? And so I didn't, and I'm not, I don't drink alcohol, so I'm not much of a party man. So uh, looking back, I think I didn't really get to enjoy the big moments like a lot of people do. And uh, this is going to sound a bit negative, and I don't mean it to, but you know, I had uh, a period in about 1974 when, uh, 1984, 1984, 2000, or 2004, 2004, when um, I had some very disappointing stuff that happened in my life really set me back some. And uh, some people who I thought a lot of, uh, decided that I'd reached my use-by date. And mm-hmm. um, so I kind of um, – I came back in 2005 with a mayor called Gidgey Coles and, and uh, won the NCHA Futurity and um, and uh, I think I won two more of the major Futurities and was reserving another one. So she became the highest money-earning horse to, uh, you know, Futurity age horse. And, 
and put me as the highest placed Australian on the on the list of cutting money mm-hmm. earners. And so I felt really good about that because I I went through some down uh, some time that you know when I was really down mm-hmm. and was able to back and pick myself up and go back. Back and uh, and bump some heads and kick some butts and <laughs> so so I don't know whether that stuff you should celebrate but I did feel pretty good about that yeah <laughs> good good now you said about you know you use by date that would have been a challenge and you've had challenges but this is money aside just thinking about people working in the horse industry and mm-hmm. you you in particular your biggest challenge on getting where you were going was your biggest challenge people saying you know, about that use-by date or were there other challenges that you want to talk about? And Because I'm going to ask you how you overcame them as well because, you know, we're thinking about okay. education and learning and if people are in another yep. situation, they might be in a similar situation, what they can do to overcome it. Mm. Well, my, uh, the biggest challenge for me was overcoming lack, lack, lack of self-confidence, lack of self-esteem, um, Getting to believe in myself, mm-hmm. that, that was probably the biggest challenge I, I really faced because I'm a bit introverted and that and so forth. And, um, yeah, and just I'm not sure how it really evolved, but it evolved, you know, as a kid, I didn't have too much self-esteem. I didn't have too much uh, self-confidence. And, and it was very easy for if someone uh, that I perceived to be better than I was or more successful if they were, if they were dismissive or ridiculed in some way. I'd, yeah, it was very easy for me to become discouraged. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, the thing that pro- helped me most come out of that was when I I went to work for a mob called uh, Kingston Rural Management, where they used to do a, a fair bit of um, you know goal seeking, you know, pinpointing okay. what you wanted yep. to achieve and what you wanted what you wanted to achieve. And fortunately for me, there were some people lived next door called Robin Val Irvine, and and he was Rob was a bloke that he decided when he was like about thirty four that he was going to work for twelve months, and then he I think it was twelve months. And um, oh no, hold on, work, was he going to work for ten years, and he was going to retire? That's what he did, and um, and he did it. I mean, he he just did did that, and he and I asked him one day how he, how he did that, and he he gave me a motivation tape. Um, my fellow called Earl Nightingale called The Strangest Secret in the World. Well, and uh, yeah. he, he was telling me that um, he was a car salesman and uh, and they had some stuff in real estate going on. He used to get kind of anxious on Monday night if he hadn't sold a car by, by Monday night. He would put this thing under his pillow and play it over and over to himself during the night. And he said it never failed. He sold a car next day, you know, whatever it did to his confidence. So he gave me that. And, and uh, really all it says is that People or men, people become what they think about all day long. Mm. Your mind's a fertile field and it'll grow whatever you plant. It'll grow deadly nightshade or it'll grow a copper corn. Whatever you plant, there's what it's going to grow. And all the great philosophers and the Bible says that, that uh, you know, as you think, so will it be done unto you and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, so all the successful people have said this in one way or another. And uh, so they got me into... into um, positive thinking and they got me into uh, goal seeking and m- motivation and and uh, then I discovered that this this stuff works you know if you if you pinpoint something you want to achieve and you work on it every day and you uh, you know you become so focused on that you exclude 
a lot of the negative stuff or the stuff that interferes or inhibits with it. But it just proved to me time and time again that the works, that's achievable. So um, that's what really um, helped me, uh, you know, and then understanding along the way that, that you know, those other people that you're competing against, they've only got two arms and two legs, the same as you got. Yep. And it, all a great start where everyone else starts, you all start at, at, with one step going in a direction. So, so it was uh, changing my thinking. John Kingston said to me one day, um, you're not going to get anywhere until you change your thinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so I wrote a note for myself um, about to change your life, you've got to change your attitude. Yep, yep, you know, yep. So that became one of my catch phrases, you know, if it, 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 I need to change my attitude about myself. Don't be thinking that you're inferior to those people or or they're they're in some way um superior. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that, that took an awful lot of um it took a long time, put it yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. And for people if you are interested, that is available now on YouTube, free of charge. So certainly, you know, not having to go through to find someone that can mentor you, that can give you a tape that you can listen to again and again. It's a matter of simply, you know, going to YouTube and um, typing in Earl Nightingale and uh, The Strangest Secret and that full audio book will come up. And I think um, Earl Nightingale has taught, gone on, and he mentored quite a few people who've then gone and mentored quite a few people. So he certainly was a bit of a grandfather, I think, of, of motivational mm. um, speaking. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, and there's a lot of that stuff out there, you know, mm. and it's so, so great today because we got, you know, um, DVD players and whatever else where you can plug that stuff in when you're going to contests and, mm, mm. and get, your, get your mind on that kind of a track rather than on on another track. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you were going out to do a workshop, do a clinic, new place, you've never been there before, mixture of horses and riders, you went through the day and um, you just go, yep, yep, these are just like all the other people I teach. If you had a common fault that you see with riders, trainers, handlers, what would it be? Ah. Oh, and and also, um, too, not just what it is, you know, because I'm sure that you see quite a lot, but how are people going to fix it? You know, because whatever you see, if it's a common thing that you see when you do clinics, there's going to be quite a few of our listeners that might have that mm, problem as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, sometimes I think it's a, the just ability to apply, apply themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a lot of people in uh, go, to clinics if you're not dealing with their with their specific problem they're really not that interested and um, you know they'll tend to be off chatting to each other or something like that and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I always think that's rather strange you've paid your money and you, you, you're assuming you're never going to have a horse with that the problem this particular person has mm. so, so sometimes I think that that's a, a restrictive deal for an awful lot of people and also, you know, people come to clinics for so many different reasons. You know, some of them are genuinely looking to learn. Some of them are because it's a social event for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I never want to be that good, but I, I want to say I've been to that person's clinic. Yep. You know, some are there just to show you how good their horse is going and show everybody else how good their horse is going. Yep. Um, so there's, there's, you know, there's some t- some kids are there because mum and dad are sick of them on the holidays and want to get them the hell out of the place. So yeah, there's an awful lot of different reasons for pe- people to be there and quite quite often I'll strike someone in an airport or somewhere else and 
and they come and reintroduce themselves and they'll and say, oh, yes, I, I, a lot of times I will remember. And uh, how's your horse going? Oh, well, we haven't been on him since. Ah, yes. And, okay. <laughs> I don't yeah. understand that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just the ability to to uh, really apply yourself to what you're doing. And then there's another deal where some people, where you, when you go to tell them something, they want to want to talk over the top of you and they haven't, they haven't figured out the knowledge of those and then they're ahead through an open mouth, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, so a bit of that goes on too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, my my approach is just to go and put as much information as I possibly can out. And as Libra Boss would say, each one gets his cup full. You know, mm-hmm. when pers- by that he, I, he, I'm, I interpret he's saying that once uh, you fill someone's head up with, uh, you know, a certain amount of new knowledge and put trying to put it more in there's uh, you know, probably a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I think um, just thinking about goal setting and your everything else, I didn't ask you with your goal setting. What are you working on now? Um, I, I, yeah, I'm working on, I guess I'm still going to keep uh, teaching while people are interested enough to listen mm-hmm. and, and my health stays reasonably well, reasonably good. But I am working on uh, some stuff with, uh, I have worked my way into a few cattle properties and uh, working on developing those and mm-hmm. I'm working on developing a, a uh, really nice herd of cattle, uh, okay. a little ways along than that. So, they're, they're, and, I, and what I find for myself is that um, as much as I've been doing as many as 50 clinics a year um, from 2010 until last year, and I cut back just slightly, uh, that um, I can come home and because I got involvement in those things, I don't really need to go have holidays because I, I get refreshed with, by my interest in what I got going on at home, you know, and yeah. then that in turn refreshes me to go back on the road again. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, and, and people would have been to clinics will tell you sometimes he gets tired in the road, and sometimes he does get cranky. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, Ian, you you um you're doing clinics in Australia, New Zealand, US. If someone contacted you from somewhere else and said, "Look, we've got enough people here, we can make it viable for you mm-hmm. to come over," you interested in doing clinics anywhere else? This is for our listeners, just in case they're um, thinking, oh, what a shame that you don't live near me. You know, I mean, basically, yep. if they say, well, we've got enough people together here who are interested in getting clinics, are you able to organise it? Yeah, if we got um, if we got time to mm. spare within a period that interests them, you yep. know, certainly. Uh, probably I'm, I'm looking a little bit, as I, as, as I get a bit longer in the tooth, I'm looking at not having to do so many commuting flights to get to the back uh, and yes, beyond. Yes, yes, Because I'm, I'm a bit jealous about how I how I spend my time now. <laughs> it seems like I'm, I'm seems to be running shorter time, and I'm a bit more jealous about how. It, whereas one time I would just go and go yeah. and go. Yep. But um, now, if it takes me a couple of changes of flights, and I've got to get finish up getting somewhere on the back of uh, one of those little um, I'm not sure what you call those little uh, hovercraft or something. Oh, yeah, 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 I know. Yep, yep. If i got to finish up going somewhere on the back one of them, I'm not going, you know. <laughs> if, if it, yeah, but if, if I can get somewhere with a, you know, direct flight or, or maybe one change of flight, yep. yep. But if okay. It, yeah, because it, what happens, it uses way, way too much of your time. Yes, yes, you're right. Yep, yep, yep. Now, Tell us your contact details if people do want to contact. Well, our email deal is uh, 
Ian Francis for skymesh.com.au. Yep. And then on Facebook, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, and my uh, the house phone number here is oh seven four one six eight five triple four. Okay. So it Facebook it is what's mm-hmm. it Ian Francis Horsemanship, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It is. Yep. Okay, and ianfrancishorsemanship.com.au if you, um, for website. And if you miss those contact details and also horsechats.com, just go there and search for Ian, search for Francis or search for Ian Francis. And uh, at the bottom of Ian's page, you'll find all his contact details there. Ian, if you're going to, just in a sentence or two, summarise your philosophy with horses, what would it be? My philosophy with horses? Mm. Um, my my approach to, is to try and get them really comfortable comfortable and composed, mm-hmm. you know, and understanding all that I want, rather than just yep. reacting to all the things I want. Uh, the more I can, uh, and I'm trying to work with them, their mind, uh, like I would say, people would say to me, what, what do you think about this bit or that bit or some other bit? And my response to that is, I'd sooner put a bit on their mind. I'd sooner, mm. you know, get 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 them to understand that if I pick up this rein, they soften that direction. I pick up that one, they soften that direction. Pick up both, they can make it vertical and stuff like that. And um, and trying to get get all, all those horses really, really composed about what they do, so they uh, they think about what they're doing rather than just react. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of the, that that approach and. Um, and the other thing uh, I've tried to do is, is when I when I'm fortunate enough to find really talented ones, and I've unfortunately I've done that for quite a lot over the years. Try not to waste those talented ones, you know. Try yes. to, um, you know, get, give them the best opportunity to be the greatest they can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So pretty much that's that's my approach. Right. Yeah, I, I think yeah, wonderful. Look, it's been very good talking to you. I think we've been trying to get hold of you for a little while. So, you know, great talking to you. And um, hopefully we'll come back and have another chat soon. But thank you very much for your time today and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Okay, well, thank you and uh, I appreciate you thinking of me. Thank you. Okay. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.